My, 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 the spiritual climate is wonderful here this evening. I tell you what, you folks are just like our people at home. You stand, and sometimes I tell them, I don't know why we bought pews. We could have saved the money. <laughs> why don't you just be seated tonight? All right. Everybody have a good day. Lady in our church says every day above the ground is a good day. Sometimes I wonder. But uh, we are happy to be here tonight. And uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to stay down here. This is where I am most comfortable. And my apologies, I think this is probably the first time that I have taught in a church service without a coat on. (laughs) But I must confess, it feels really good. (laughs) We were over here today and I got caught underestimating the Southern California traffic. And so by the time I, uh, all I need to say is 210. (laughs) And you understand. So I was a little late getting back over there. So if you'll accept my apologies for my, my just um, casually, casual attire here in the, in the pulpit. Well, I'm not in the pulpit. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Brother Brown, Sister Brown. My goodness, I'm just, I'm telling you, we have enjoyed our little old girls and getting acquainted with little Eden. She she is a sweetheart. All three of them are, but I'm going to brag on her and she's going to fuss. I've hardly heard her fuss since we've been here, but she has, oh, she hears her papa's voice. She wants me to hold her, but she she has always Got a ready smile and an easy disposition. I'm, I'm telling you, the things, um, every time I come, I'm amazed at, at the progression of the growth of church. Your building uh, plans are, are exciting. And I just kind of like that kind of thing anyway. So we've been going over a little bit of that today. And, and you know, what he said tonight about, about advice uh, was if he takes it. I, I told him a bunch of things to change and all that, but he just kind of said, well, you know, I'm teasing. We just, looking that over, I I guess because we've been building for a number of years, about ever since we've been in Fort Wayne, and uh, it's an, it's interesting, interesting. Those, are, those are, are times that you make great memories for the church, and looking back over the years, take lots of pictures and Later, the ones that you don't like, you throw away. And the ones that have the bad memories, you know. But when we built our building prior to this building we're in, uh, I think it was the coldest, one of the coldest on record in Indiana. And um, uh, the wind chill factor was over minus 50 degrees. And so, of course, everything (laughs) has to stop in that. And... um, but we made it, and then this last time we just decided to buy. And so that was a blessing. We're going to jump into the Word here tonight. I respect your time. Many of you, as our brother here, gets up at an ungodly hour, and and uh, some of us stay up to an ungodly hour. And I respect your time, and I probably won't teach over a couple of hours tonight. 
I want to just pull some notes out I taught on a while back. Um, it's what I felt today in prayer. And actually, I don't mean to scare you, but I've got about 18 pages to these notes. And we're just going to get started here, and I'll quit probably around four or five pages, something like that. But it's something that uh, that I feel like is, is um, vitally important to the body of Christ for us to understand. Without a lot of explanation, let me just jump into it. Um, the book of John, we're going to actually be reading out of uh, chapter number 15, but chapter 14 and 15 are, are um, really linked together in their understanding. I'll explain some of this as we go, but let me, let me uh, start reading to you tonight. Chapter number 15, verse number 1. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the husbandman. That means that the Father is the gardener. And he's going to come looking for fruit. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Now, branches is the church. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit is taken away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Key word here, abide. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Now, uh, uh, my subject tonight is the vine and the branches abiding in him and him abiding in us. So kind of watch for that as we go forth in our reading here. Um, I believe verse number 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. Key verse number 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You shall be my disciples. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever, whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. All right. Again, talking about the vine and the branches, understanding our relationship to Christ is is uh, of paramount importance. And I think I think if you will gather and grasp the, the concept of these verses here, as we kind of go expositorily through them, I think it will help you when when you pray and when you when you work on your relationship with God. But let me say, first of all, that 
the sole purpose of our existence is this. Nothing more, nothing less. To glorify God by bringing forth much fruit. There it is, folks. Bottom line. If we stop there, that would be it. Our sole purpose in life is to glorify God by bringing forth much fruit. That's why we talk about the vine and the branches. There are four relationships which need to be distinguished tonight. Number one is our life in Christ. That is salvation. Number two is our life with Christ, which is fellowship. Number three, our life by Christ, which is fruit-bearing. That's what I'll be talking about tonight. Number four, our life for Christ, which is service. All right, the prominent truth of the principle of this scripture is fruit-bearing and the conditions of spiritual fertility. We must bear fruit. Number one, first, to be a fruit-bearing branch of the vine, one must be in Christ. Number two, John writes here and says, to be a a fruit-bearing branch of the vine, uh, it is absolutely imperative the Father must purge us by the cleansing action of His Word. Purging is a process that is necessary for fruit-bearing without going into, of course, um, all the uh, language of, of the farmer and the pruning and all that. Uh, and so the Bible says we are washed by the water of the Word. Number three, uh, to be a fruit-bearing branch of the vine, we must abide in Christ. Now, the first two of these are solely and strictly a result of God's grace. In other words, uh, He calls us, we abide in Him, so forth. Number two, the purging process, the pruning process. Number three is not His responsibility, but it is our responsibility. And this is what is talked about throughout the book of John, chapter number 15. Now, as we, as we go back... And, and lay a foundation for, for chapter 14, we must understand, or 15, we must understand 14, and just an oversight, overview uh, here. In John 14, we have a broad distinction between 14 and 15. In the first part, we have the grace of God unfolded, and in the latter part, chapter number 15, uh, we have Christian responsibility. Further evidence of this is found in the frequent prep. Uh, uh, a repetition of the two pronouns in John 14. The emphasis is upon me all through chapter 14. If you go back and read that tonight or this week, you'll find out repeatedly Christ is talking about himself. And then when it gets to John chapter 15, the emphasis is upon ye or us as a church. In John chapter 14, uh, it is believed, uh, the words say, Quote, believe also in me. That's verse number one. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse number six. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. Verse number seven. Uh, have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? Verse number nine. And, and so forth. 
Whereas in John chapter 15, uh, he talks and uses such phraseology as, Ye are clean, verse number 3, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, verse number 8. Uh, continue in my love. Uh, if, you, if ye continue in my love, verse number 9, and then you are my friends, if, and so forth, verse number 14. The word ye occurs no less than 22 times in the book of John Chapter number fifteen, and so and so, it is not what is supposed in modern day Christianity, such as faith only. You know, nothing more, nothing less. Faith only. Christ did it all. Uh, John underscores the fact repeatedly here, as I said, no less than twenty-two times in one chapter that you and I have a responsibility in this thing. And so, in uh, John chapter fifteen, verse number four. The word abide in just just one verse alone, verse number four, uh, occurs no less than three times. And then we notice how this same truth is reiterated in John chapter 15, verse 5. Notice how John 15, verse number 6, is devoted to a solemn statement of the consequences of failure to abide in Christ. He said, if you abide not in me. We look at it now, and uh, it says here, the word abide is found. Uh, Then in John 15, 7, uh, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 16. And just as necessary and imperative as Christ's command, come unto me is to the sinner, so absolutely essential is his abide in me to the saint. And so, and so John is saying here, uh, and the church says, the sinner must come to Christ. But Christ says, as important as it is for the sinner to come to me, it is just as important for you as a saint of God to abide in me. So we have, we have uh, a continual abiding. It is not, it is not um, uh, get saved, sit down, and all of Laodicea says amen, and we become complacent in Christ. Uh, so we understand that there is a continual abiding in Him. First of all, let's look and understand to abide in Him or in Christ is, number one, to continue our relationship that we had with Him as we began the journey. As we become born again, we come to Him. We're all excited and we're, we're filled with the Holy Ghost, the presence, the power of God. But it does not stop there. For He says, to abide in me is an ongoing uh, uh, position in Christ. And so uh, we abide in Him on a continual basis as we did in Him when we first came to salvation. Here are His words. In John chapter 6, verse 56, he says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth or abideth in me and I in him. That is not transubstantiation where the actual body and blood of the Lord turns into real flesh and blood, but it is talking about simply here that that I am as a child of God to feed continually upon him by what? By eating his flesh, drinking his blood. That is the assimilation I need. It simply means I am satisfied in Christ, and he has everything I need to sustain me on a day-to-day basis by abiding in him. Amen. And so, second, to abide in Christ is to maintain a spirit and an attitude of what? Entire entire and complete dependency upon Him. 
It is in him, by him, for him. Everything is about him. And so we must understand that. And we understand we cannot work our way to Christ, but we must, we must abide in him. It is the consciousness of my helplessness. It is the realization that severed from him, I can do nothing. Notice here the picture that I've asked Sarah to put up. We have the vine that goes down into the soil. We have the branches, and then we have the fruit that is carried on the branches. So we are to bear the fruit. We are not the fruit. We are the branches. We are not the vine. Christ is the vine. And then, of course, uh, Christ is the husbandman. And so we look at that, and we know that, that without him we can do nothing. The figure which, which the Lord here uh, strongly emphasizes is this. What are the branches of a vine but these? Helpless, creeping, clinging things. They cannot stand alone. They, a, a branch cannot stand alone. Branches always have to be supported, held up, and so now they can, there, there can be no abiding in Christ while we entertain a spirit of, what, self-sufficiency. It would be like branches floating in the garden without being attached to anything. We have got to, as branches, be attached to the vine. And so uh, we have no confidence in the flesh. We are to renounce our own might. We are not to lean to our own understanding when times get tough. Uh, and all of this precedes our turning unto Christ. There must be a recognition of my own emptiness before I can turn to and draw from His fullness. I must be empty of myself before I can draw from the fullness of Christ, just like the branches must draw from the vine. And so, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide, abide in the vine, no more can you and I except we abide in Christ. In itself, a branch has absolutely no resources in union with the vine, only it is fulfilled with its life. Next, we look and see that to abide in Him, of course, is to draw again from His fullness. It is not enough that I turn from myself in a in a loathsome repugnance or a disgust of myself, but I must turn to Him and look to Him who in whom I have delight. I must seek His presence, not mine. I must be occupied with His excellency, not mine. I must commune with Him. It is no longer a question of my sufficiency, my strength my anything it is a solely a matter of our dependency upon god who he is what he is and his sufficiency alone the branch is simply the branch the branch between the fruit and the vine is simply a conduit through which flows the fruit producing juices that come from the soil up to the vine and then result in the clusters of grapes that hang on the branches. Remember that the branch does not produce but simply bears them. It is the vine which produces but produces what? Christ produces through his church which is the branch and by the branch being in the vine. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall shall be done unto you. 
careful with that one. It needs a little explanation. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. And that's in John 15, 7. The connection between this verse and the ones preceding it are as follows in John 15 and 4. And in verse 5, the Lord had exhorted his disciples to abide in him. But then we go in John 15 and 6. He had warned them. Excuse me. What would be the consequences if they did not abide in him? Now he turns, or rather returns, we understand, to the effects which would follow their compliance with his admonition here. Three things are stated. Number one. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. I've had a hard time with that one in the past because I've prayed a lot of prayers that didn't, uh, didn't come to pass, a lot of prayers that never got answered. There's nobody in this congregation tonight that has prayed prayers that have not been answered, and you thought I, have, I, I took God at his word. And many times, even as a pastor, I have said, God... I, I, I don't understand the scripture. If 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 I abide in you, and your words abide in me, then I can ask what I want to or what I will, and it shall be done unto me. That is that is uh, that is a wrong conception. That is a erroneous conclusion. Uh, that we sometimes deduct from this. They have often uh, uh, been appealed to in order to justify what? The most unworthy views of prayer. The popular interpretation uh, of them is that the Christian will not only work himself up to in a, up in a pleading for this promise before the throne of grace. He may then ask God for what he pleases and the Almighty will not and some will go as far as to say that he cannot deny me. That's not true, folks. Let me, let me help you so that we don't set ourselves up for some disappointment in God. I read uh, some excerpt of a, of, um, of a very prominent figure. I'll tell you who it was, Laura Bush. She's coming out with a book here uh, before long that talks about how she was uh, disappointed when she was a, a teenager, I think 17 years of age, driving. Uh, ran a stop sign, broadsided a car, killed a high school uh, companion, and said that and said she pleaded with God not to let him die. He died anyway. She said for a number of years, for many many years, that shook my faith in God. Uh, and that's the way we are sometimes as apostolics because we don't understand what God said that you can ask anything you will in my name and I will do it. Let me let me try to help uh, some of you here tonight that that may not understand that completely we are uh, we 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 are told that christ here evidently has given us a blank check he signed it and left us to fill in the blanks whatever will but john five fourteen plainly repudiates such a carnal conception when he says and this is the confidence that we have in him that what if we ask anything according to his will he heareth us therefore Therefore, what we ask will not be done unto us unless our will is subordinated to and is in accord with the will of God. Only when we ask according to the will of God and faith is in operation. Why is that? What then is the meaning of this promise? 
Certainly, it does not give the saint of God carte blanche. For God, for God to gratify us in everything we request would be a dishonoring God, and also it would be detrimental to us because we don't know what to ask for except we are in the Spirit. All of us have asked for things that have not been, quote, done unto us. Some have asked sincerely with full expectation. The petitions have been denied. Does this make the Word of God a lie or make it wrong? A thousand times no, because every word that is written here is written by infallible proof. It is truth. What then is the the answer to this? Shall we fall back and say it's not God's time? He'll give it to us eventually? No, no. Sometimes hope deferred is, uh, is not real. It all depends upon whether the conditions governing the promises of God in 15 and 7 are being met. If they are not, it will be said of us, you ask and you have not, James 4 and 3, because you ask amiss or you consume it upon your own lust. A few years ago in our church, we dealt with a tragedy, uh, a, a lady that was relatively young, a new family came in the church, uh, I, I worked with this family, and uh, it was a very large family church. I think 20-something members of this family came into our church. I spent, I spent uh, many, many Saturday nights, probably about nine months, teaching them Bible study in their home. And, and the family came in, but not long after they came in, uh, the lady, which was 54 years of age, and all these kids, you know, that, that uh, as teenagers and just coming in church, she all of a sudden came down with cancer. And this family went to prayer and fasting until I don't know if anybody could pray and fast anymore. And down to where uh, she, she with her, her, her emaciated look and skeletal frame, they believed that, that when she took her last breath that God would raise her back to life. It didn't happen. And years later, uh, uh, at least one of them struggled with that and said, I asked God. We prayed in faith. It didn't happen. My mother died, and she carried that, and she has backslid today simply because she did not understand the concept and the principle of God's Word that says, if you ask according to my will. God sometimes has a purpose in our lives that we'll never understand here, but that does not mean that His Word is not true and that God does not love us. He loves us supremely. He loves more of us more than we love ourselves. God is true to His Word, and one of these days we're going to understand it all. Somebody says, well, I don't want to understand it later. I want to understand it now. We're breaching the sovereignty of God now. He and He alone has the answer to what we need and what we don't need in life. But we do need to know that if we abide in Him and His Word abides in us, then we're going to bear much fruit. Can you say amen? And so, there are two conditions here which qualify the promise. Number one, if you abide in me, abiding in, in, in Christ signifies the maintaining of our communion with Him. And number two, my words abide, my words abide in you. Not only must our lives be in Christ, but our life must be regulated by Scripture. Hello, I'm afraid we missed that, and that, that, that is vitally important to our understanding 
what we receive from God. It is the practical heeding of this injunction. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is Christ's words abiding in us. It is not to be what we sometimes think when we're unfaithful to God, when we're not consistent with God, when we live our life through the week and we come in and we have a need and we pray and, and, and the tears stream down our cheeks and we shout and we shake and we juke and we jive and we do all of this and we plead and we beg and, and we've got this, this, this emotional high that all of a sudden we know that God heard us only to walk out of the doors and our prayer not be answered. I'm telling you, folks, we as apostolics need to recognize that God does not not answer our prayer in the moment of some emotional high, and I am, I am not downplaying the emotion of this. I love the emotion of it. We must have that. That's a part of the exercise of our faith, and, 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 and sometimes God does a miraculous in a moment of inspiration of faith like that, but more than anything, God says, how have you lived through the week? Have you been abiding in me this week? Or have you gone out here and done your own thing all week and then come in here and, 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 and get on this, you know, the praise team is, is, is just, you know, getting with it and the spirit's high and people are running and, and you feel good. And God says, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. Is my word abiding in you? Are you abiding in me? You want to bear fruit? Let's understand the principle here that he's talking about. Can you say Amen. And so, it is our constant habitual communion with God through His Word until its contents becomes, what? Substance for our innermost being. You shall ask what you will, but for what would one ask? If he continues in fellowship with Christ in his words, and His words remain in Him, then His thoughts, what? His thoughts will be regulated and His desires formed and His desires, our desires, will be formed, What? not out of selfish motive, but will be formed in accordance with the Word and the will of God. Then will we be raised above what? The lust of our own flesh. If what? According to 2 Corinthians 10.5, if we will bring, quote, bring into captivity every thought, what? To the obedience of Christ. Proving what is, what? That good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12:2. Consequently, we will ask only for that which is in accordance to the will of God if we are abiding in Him. Why? Because if we are abiding in Him and we know the mind of Christ, that's where somebody all of a sudden gets a rima or, or what is called a specific word for a specific person at a specific time. Not for everybody. Example, Scripture. Peter, when the disciples were on the sea and the storm set in and, and the Lord come walking on the water and, and uh, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to thee on the water. And the Lord looked at Peter and said one word, come. He did not say that to any other disciples. 
It was not at any other time. Nobody's ever walked on water except Peter on that day. It was a rema for a specific person, a specific place, at a specific time. That's why that when we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us, sometimes we just get this this intuitiveness, such as such as and I don't mean to get sidetracked here, but but we're made up three 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 a tripart, body, soul and spirit. We know what the flesh is, the five senses. We know we know how uh, what uh, what the soul is, the mind, the will, the emotions, and the spirit is is the the one thing that it is is the intuition, or that communion with God. The spirit is the deepest part of man. That when somebody just in prayer, you know, I've worked on problems that I've tried to solve in a church for weeks, and frustrated. All all of a sudden, you know, when I'm praying. All of a sudden, it's like, boom, the answer to this problem drops into my mind or into my spirit, not my mind. The mind is the soul, but in the spirit, intuitively. And I got up from prayer and said, man, I'm glad I thought of that. You know what? I didn't think of it. And then later, it dawns on me that intuitively, in prayer, Abiding in Christ and His Word abiding in us. All of a sudden, the light turns on and I've got the answer to my problem. That's what makes it worth being a child of God because, because, because everybody else operates in the psychological realm, but God works in the spiritual realm because this thing is not a flesh thing. It's not a carnal thing. This is a supernatural thing where God operates in the realm of the supernatural. And if we're not in the realm of the supernatural, then we can understand that. Y'all going to see a lot of that when Brother Buster comes. Got an hour and 15 minutes to go here. Because we sometimes don't abide in Christ... We pray in vain. He is not interested in how much we pray. He is interested in the obedience of our prayer. Are we abiding in Him? Christ's words sometimes do not abide in us. Therefore, sometimes our answer, our prayers are not answered that He would like to answer. And so, if we understand this, then we are in tune to His direction by His Word. We must keep up that intimate friendship with what the great advocate in heaven, which is Jesus Christ, if our prayers are to be granted. We have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ, righteous. And so John 15:8 says, Herein, or this is how, my Father is glorified. We will know his purpose in us, that you bear much fruit. We're getting down to it. John 15 and 8. It is, it, is, it is for us to know and now inquire as to the nature or what kind of fruit he wants us to bear. When he says, he says, it's my desire that you bear much fruit. It begs the question, what is he talking about or referring to by fruit? What does he want from me? All right? Let's look at it. 
Fruit, again, let me underscore, is not something which is attached to the branch and fastened on from without, but it is, underscored, the organic product and evidence of this, an inner life. We may say, in brief, that the fruit borne by the branches is precisely that which is produced by the vine. And what that and, and what that is may be best understood what? By looking at what he was as God's witness in the world. If you want to see an example, the the supreme example of someone who bore fruit, then of course we look at the life of Christ. And then if we want to bear fruit, we say, What did Christ do? How did he live? What kind of fruit did he bear? And then we try to emulate that only as we are abiding in the branch. But let's look at what is the fruit. Here it is. The fruit is is Christ-like affections, dispositions, graces, and all of this which were displayed in him. Now, we, 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 we don't want to undervalue the work of faith. The labor of love, but we've got to remember the Bible tells us so clearly the fruit of the Spirit is this. Here we go. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Everything else that we do, so winning, discipleship, all of that. Everything, you fill in the blanks, is a result of producing this kind of fruit. Now, every once in a while, I try to, you know, read, read through the Bible. Lately, I've got into, you know, my, on my, uh, my phone, I've got the Bible, the audio Bible downloaded. And when I'm driving or just somewhere, I put my, my earphones in. And I was going through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 the other day. Going through the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. As old as I am and as long as I've been living for God and pastoring a church, I read that again. And I say to myself, driving down the road, God, can anybody be saved? Because he's saying, somebody slaps you, turn the cheek. Things like that, you know. That's just tough. And he gives a whole list of stuff like that. And and I'm saying... God, I, I just don't measure up. And for a moment there, it set me back. And I'm like, you know, why try here? But then I am rem- I'm reminded in the Holy Ghost intuitively that, you know what? It is not how good I am. It's how good He is. That when I can't, and I don't have time to go into this, but when I can't live up to the letter of the law, then he fulfills the law for me. 
when I do everything I can. But sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I say things, do things. Sometimes I'm just not what I should be. Do you know that he understands that? And and no more than we, to our children, when they mess up, slap them and say, get out of here, you sorry thing, you're not my child, I don't want to ever see you again. No, no. You know what? Our kids can, I'm, I'm, you know, Tamara's never, never done anything wrong. But I mean, Sister Brown, I'm sorry, has never done anything wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why did she get so many spankings? Well, but the fact of the matter is, our kids can really mess up. But you know what? We're going to love them through it all. He knows our flesh. He knows that we mess up. But when we come to Him, and I've always been amazed at little old kids. I mean, you can wear them out. And they just come around and love on you and make you feel so rotten. You know? And when we stumble and we mess up, and we come to God and we say, Daddy, I'm so sorry. He doesn't say, I never want to see you again. Man, He just pulls us in. And just loves us. And says, I understand. Get up. Keep going. It's going to be okay. Praise God. Come to the instruments, please. Everything else that we are or what we do, as pastors, we can build churches. As saints of God... We can win the multitudes. We can do a lot of things. But I'm telling you, everything we do comes out of the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And so it is vitally important for us to recognize that the fruit is the outflow of our union with Christ. Only then... It will be traced to the true origin and source. Then will it be seen that our fruit is produced not merely by Christ's power acting upon us, but within us as we abide in the vine. We receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit because the Christian life is a supernatural life, and the only person who ever really lived that life was Christ. Because we cannot live the Christ life He has sent His own Son, the Spirit of God, to come in and live in us that when we can't bear fruit, He bears fruit in us and through us. I'm wrapping up. But God has revealed Himself in the New Testament, allowing us to take on His nature of fruit-bearing. And here we go. Very quickly. He is the Spirit of truth, John 14, 17. Therefore, we ought not to be deceived. He is the Spirit of faith, 2 Corinthians 4, 13. Therefore, we ought not to be discouraged. He is the Spirit of grace, Hebrews 10, 29. Therefore, we ought not to be disgruntled. He is the Spirit of holiness, Romans 1, 14. Therefore, we ought not be defiled. He is the Spirit of wisdom, Ephesians 1, 17. Therefore, we ought not be daunted. 
He is the spirit of power, 2 Timothy 1.17. Therefore, we ought not be defeated. He is the spirit of love, 2 Timothy 1.17. Therefore, we ought not be discordant. He is the spirit of a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. Therefore, we ought not be disturbed. He is the spirit of life, Romans 8.2. Therefore, we ought not die. He is the spirit of glory, 1 Peter 4.14. Therefore, we ought not be bored with him. God bless you. Thank you for allowing me to come to you. Praise the Lord. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Amen. Hallelujah. It's all about us abiding in Him and His Word abiding in us. It doesn't matter how much effort we put in or how we try really hard to be good people. It's not going to happen unless we abide in Him and His Word abides in us. So guess what? There's no new book that's going to be written or new approach that's going to come along that's going to give us a shortcut or a different mean, a different way to bring glory to God through our life. It's going to be the same way. It's going to be the same way as it was for our grandparents. It's going to be the same way that it was for the apostles 2,000 years ago. It's the same way. We've got to abide in Him and let His Word abide in us. Amen. Why don't we stand together right now and let's just receive the Word for a moment in prayer right now. I think the Word of God has been so rich and direct to us tonight. But the Bible says um, uh, one of the mistakes we can make is be a hearer of the Word but not a doer of the Word. And the, and the Bible lets us know that's a really bad mistake. That's like a person who stands in front of a mirror and sees the things that need to change, whether it's a smudge on the face or the hair out of place or the uh, clothing buttoned wrong or whatever, sees what needs to change, and then they go their way without making the change. And it's not too long from, from the fact that the, not too long after they leave the mirror, they forget what needed to change. Do you understand that? That's what the Bible says in the book of James. It's like a man looking in the looking glass, not making the change, and just leaving. So that's, a, that, that, that's, that's folly for me to stand in front of the mirror in the morning and see what, what's wrong, what I can fix. I know there's a lot wrong that I can't fix, but what's wrong that I can fix, and not doing anything about it, just leaving and saying, well, I'll take care of it later. It's not going to happen. You're in front of the mirror now. God's spoken to us now. I want us to close our eyes right now, and I want us to let the word of the Lord settle into our spirit right now. Jesus, I thank you for speaking to me tonight, Lord God. Thank you for, your, for allowing your servant to speak in a way that was really easy to understand and very clear to me. How I'm going to bring pleasure to you, not by my effort, not through my talent, but I'm going to bring glory to you, Jesus, by abiding in you and your words abiding in me. I can't bring glory to you if I don't pray, and I can't bring glory to you if I'm not in your word. Jesus, let that word soak into my heart, into our hearts today, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Jesus any way that I've been thinking, any misconceptions that I've had about how it is that I'm going to bring glory to you and how it is that I'm going to please you, any of those misconceptions that I've had, Lord, let your word correct it in my mind so that I don't continue thinking the wrong way. Let me think, Lord Jesus, according to the direction of your word. God, if I thought I was going to bring you glory by working harder, if I thought I was going to bring you glory in this way or that, Lord, help me adjust my thinking right now to recognize that I can only bring you glory and bear much fruit by abiding in you. Your word in me. Thank you, Jesus. Not only my way of thinking, but Lord, I'm asking Jesus right now that you would help me make an adjustment in my conduct. The things that I do, Lord Jesus. Let it not just affect me mentally, Lord God, but let it affect my actions and my conduct. I love you, Jesus, so much, and I want to please you. I want to spend time with you. I want to spend time in your presence. I want to push back, push back against the invasion of all the things and busyness that takes away from my inner life and my relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, I want you right now, spirits, I want you to, in essence, reach your hand and push back at all of that stuff that's been invading that space and that time where you were going to commune with the Lord. You made those commitments to the Lord that you were going to commune with Him. I want you to imagine right now yourself pushing it back. Hallelujah. Through prayer right now, say, God, help me to push back all of those misguided priorities that have caused me not to pray, Lord Jesus, not to abide in You, not to spend time worshiping You, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. If my special time with you, Lord God, is when I'm commuting to work and I've been listening to the radio or sports radio instead of listening to the gospel music and commuting with you, Jesus, I pray, Lord God, let me push back and protect that time in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. If the computer has been dominating my time instead of your word, Lord God, pushing out, whether it's computer or videos or or television, Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus, I want to push back. God, I want to bear much fruit, Lord Jesus, and bring glory to you. And I can only do it if I abide in you, Jesus, and get your word in my heart. Come on now, let the Spirit speak through us right now. Hallelujah. Come on, you're responding and receiving the word right now. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let the tears flow right now. Let that praise and worship come out of your vessel right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Come on, let's hit praise Him for a moment right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, it feels good. Hallelujah. And right before we leave, we want to sing this song that affirms what's happening in our spirit right now. Falling in love with Jesus. Hallelujah. It's the best thing I've ever done. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. 
tonight, Lord, from this place and this gathering, that, Lord Jesus, we would be conscious that as we leave this building, we would at the same time remain and abide in the vine. Jesus, I pray, Lord God, let that life-giving source of your Spirit be with us in our car as we think of you and abide in you, that it be with us at home, Lord Jesus, and while we're at work, Lord God, and everything that we do, Lord Jesus, that we remain connected to you, Lord God. When we wipe the dust off our Bibles and pull them out and begin to read, Lord Jesus, let your word abide in us. What we've heard tonight, Lord God, that word, let it abide in us. Let us leave here, Lord Jesus, protect us. But more than just protecting us in body, I'm asking, Lord God, that you'd protect the body of Christ in spirit, Lord Jesus. That the enemy would not steal the seed of the word that's going to produce fruit in our life that's been planted carefully tonight.
the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Greet one another.